Welcome back to Kingdom 101, and we want to say hi to those listening in again. Thanks always for waiting for us to take a break, and we are back with another teaching, and you have another recording to listen to. Let's pray together, and we'll get into this evening's teaching. Father, we thank you for Scripture always, Lord. It's not just a book. It's not just words that we read, Lord. There is truth. There's life that is contained therein. And we ask, Holy Spirit, will you come upon the teaching of the Word? Uh, without you, Lord, there will be no empowerment for the Word to go forth. And, but we know, Lord, you are with us tonight. So will you speak this Word into hearts and lives? Be with me and be with everyone listening in. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Be glorified even through the declaration of your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Laugh or cry. Are you familiar with this phrase? Have you been caught in a situation where you just say, I don't know whether to laugh or to cry? Where it's a time of either expressing surprise or exasperation, a state of shock. Something is presented to you and you don't know how to react. How should you respond? Should you respond in one way or should you respond in another way? And if you should be responding, then which is the correct way? Which one is the right way? What is appropriate? Laugh or cry. It's interesting that these two words, laugh and cry, came into my mind when I was reading this passage. And this evening's passage will be from Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 to 24. The passage seems to address this conundrum that we face when it comes to the aspects and the things of the kingdom of God. How are we supposed to respond? Verses 16 to 24, it's a rather lengthy passage. We will address verses 16 to 19 first and then see later on how the rest of the verses will come in after that. Allow me to read this passage for you from verses 16 to 19. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. As always, let's look at the context and a very quick overview. Perhaps by now we should be calling this a quick review. We've been going through Matthew chapter 11, and yes, this message is still about Jesus and John. We have seen this pair mentioned together from the start of Matthew chapter 11 all the way to where we are right now. In Matthew chapter 4, we see John introducing Jesus. Jesus then comes onto the scene. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapters 8 and 9, he goes out and he demonstrates the authority of the kingdom. And then in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus assembles his team and sends them out on assignment, at the same time giving them instructions and also warnings to say, be careful, things may not always go well with you. And then finally, we come to chapter 11, and we see that this whole focus on John seems to illustrate what Jesus had taught earlier in Matthew chapter 10. John was on kingdom assignment, and things were not going well for him. 
So you'll see in chapter 11, verses 1 to 7, in the teaching, not as expected, Jesus answers John, right? John comes with questions, and he had some doubts in his heart. Jesus answers John, clarifies his doubts, and at the same time, confirms his own messiahship. Then in the next passage from verse 18 to 15, in the message and teaching, Kingdom Greatness, Jesus affirms John. He doesn't only answer the questions of John. Now in the audience of the people around him, Jesus now affirms. Jesus validates John's ministry. He says, if you're looking for Elijah, don't look anymore. This is the Elijah you're waiting for. John is the culmination of the Old Testament. And at the same time, in affirming John, Jesus then authenticates his own ministry. If John is the one that's coming before the Messiah, and if he is the one that I am, that Messiah, and John closes the Old Testament, and Jesus then opens the New Testament. Now careful, this can give us an impression that John is over and done with, that everything he taught and stood for is now to be disregarded and cancelled, right? After all, he closes something and Jesus opens it, and John himself says, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. And or we think that John was inaccurate or wrong, so we, we shouldn't look at John since Jesus now is on the scene. And then Jesus is the one that we should be listening to. And let's discredit and disregard John. Don't have that impression. Because after Jesus affirms John, now in this very next passage that we had just read, Jesus aligns with John. He stands with John. Now, when I use this word align with John, I'm not saying that John is the reference point now. Cannot be. Jesus will always be the reference point. He remains that main reference point. But the teaching that we are having this evening must extend from the previous verses. And the previous teachings, as Jesus answers John, affirms John, now Jesus is saying, I'm supporting John. I'm standing with him. I'm aligning with him. Wow, can you imagine this? If you have a ministry and Jesus says, this guy is good, this guy is alright, you know, I'm standing next to him and I'm giving him all the credibility that he needs. And as Jesus stands with John, or in our language tonight, that Jesus aligns with John, both of them are actually to be seen and to be interpreted together. And we will see later on that Jesus is really saying this. We may appear different, but we are both right. We are both relevant. It's not one or the other. You must see the both of us together. So this as a quick overview. We can see how it extends from Jesus answering John, affirming John, and now aligning with John. And so let's look at this first part of whether to laugh or to cry. Let's look at John first. And if you know John, John has a very serious call to repentance. So he's calling people, you, you better weep, you know, you better cry. <laughs> you have sinned, and he's calling Israel, turn from your ways. You have not been living correct. So John would be a type of a cry type of message, a cry ministry. Now he came very radical. You know he had radical dressing, and he had a very radical diet. 
The last time we looked at this teaching also, that he worked in a very, very harsh ministry environment right there in the wilderness. For his own holiness code, they were in the wilderness, they were separated from the main community because they did not want to be tainted by the things of the world. They led a very strict and very ascetic lifestyle. The verse says, right, John came neither eating nor drinking. And so this sounds like a lot of mourning, a lot of fasting, a lot of crying, like it's bad news kind of stuff, very serious stuff. So this is John. He would be typifying like a cry kind of thing. So should you just cry? It's all about repentance. And on the flip side, here comes Jesus. And we see that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So on one hand, this guy, John, doesn't eat and doesn't drink. And on the flip side, Jesus comes eating and drinking. Now, the kind of message that Jesus brings is a joyous invitation to celebration. Now, Jesus, uh, as opposed to John, was approachable. He was very friendly. He would move around in the marketplace. He interacted with everyone and anyone. Every time you read in the Gospels, he's socializing, he's got food, he's got fellowship. If Facebook was there, he would take a Wi-Fi, he might tag himself and tag you also. You know, and great ministry locations. You'll find him in the local supermarket, the playgrounds, he's got beachside parties, cafes, restaurants, pubs. Well, this guy knows how to chill. Holiness court. What holiness code? I mean, he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, right? And so John is like a cry type of a message and a ministry. And Jesus seems to be the direct opposite. He would be the love and let's party, let's let's have fun, a lot of joy, like a wedding like that type of a message and a ministry. If you look at each of them separately, they would appear diametrically opposite from one another. And yet what Jesus is really saying is, we may look different, but we represent the same kingdom. And we are are same, same, but we are different. Uh, We we, we say different things, but really we represent the same God and the same kingdom. We may minister very differently, but really we are consistent. We sound different, but we do not contradict one another. Don't look at us as if it's an either or, but you must accept us with a both and. And the way to understand this, the only way to make sense of this, is to see John and to see Jesus and to know that they each did what was appropriate to his own mission. They each had their own separate kingdom assignment. And they had to do their assignment faithfully and according to what they had been given. And so this applies to all of us, that there are different ministries and there are different assignments and they can focus on different aspects. And so we don't look at one and say, oh, this one talks about like a laugh type of ministry and the other opposite is like a cry and it's different. So do we laugh or do we cry? The answer is yes. Do we laugh or do we cry? The answer is yes. Why? Because we have to learn how to identify a person's kingdom assignment and his or her own specific focus. We need to learn how to embrace the many, many aspects of the kingdom of God. Do you know that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than you and I can even understand? 
Sometimes we are so narrow in the way we understand the kingdom of God. Now, are there rules? Yes. Are there parameters? Yes. But do you know that the playing field is so much wider than you and I can even understand this? Some will say, oh, it's love. It's only love. Everything is love. Really? Is that the only thing? And someone comes on the other end. Oh, but it's righteousness. It's got to be righteousness. Everything is righteousness. And someone comes in and says, oh no, it's grace. It's grace. And so, is it righteousness or is it grace? The answer is yes. Are there parameters? Are there barriers? Yes. But is there freedom? Yes. So can you see... The kingdom of God is so wide and so large and there are so many aspects and you've got to embrace each and every one of these aspects because they're all relevant. Is it about repentance? Of course. Is it about holiness? Definitely. How about obedience? Definitely. Joy? Truly, of course. But is there also judgment? Most definitely. So you've got to hold each and every one of these themes in a good tension. And this is where you acknowledge the tensions of the Christian life. It's not grace versus the law. There's grace and yes, you must understand the law. It's not freedom versus obedience. There is obedience within the realms of freedom and in freedom, you must understand obedience. It's not just the free will of man that you can do everything and anything you want, but it's also the sovereignty of God. Can you see the tension that you must embrace and acknowledge in your Christian life. If you hold only to one understanding, then you swing to an extreme and you miss everything that is there. Jesus, although He was about joy and about celebration, He knew everything about the kingdom of God. And I believe John, in his own understanding, also had a much bigger picture of what the kingdom of God is all about. And this is why I believe Paul, in writing to the church, in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, he says this, that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, the full counsel. And it would do us well to understand what the fullness of this counsel is, the teaching of what the kingdom of God is. You want to understand this side? Sure, but make sure you don't do it at the expense of the other side. And as we grow and as we learn, you will discover that there are just so many aspects that you will be exposed to and learning. But at the moment, you may be going through a season. Maybe you are learning one aspect and you are majoring on that one aspect. Well, nothing wrong with that. Just understand that there's something more beside you, opposite you, maybe somewhere else down the road. And so hold a clear view and an open mind. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach you so that you can respond rightly in any given situation or season. Let me give you a word of caution even as I share this with you. Our tendency is to major and camp only on one aspect. And there's a danger if you only hold to that. Now let me qualify this. It's okay to focus and specialize in one aspect if that's your kingdom assignment, right? For example, if the Lord has asked you to move into an area of healing, well, man, specialize in it. Learn well. Go deep into that. If you have been brought into a point of restoration, sure, Father's love, yeah, power signs, you, you can focus on that. But if you understand what I'm trying to share here with you, it's not only that. It's not only that. For some people, they might be very good in holding silent retreats. 
ministering in a healing, trying to bring people to a time of solitude. And he keep telling people, you have to be alone, you have to be alone, you have to be alone. Now, that's good for a certain season. But for some of you, you might be very good in bringing people together. And so, is it okay to be alone and to be with other people? Of course it is. There's time to be alone and there's time to be with other people. And so, it is okay to focus if you have been brought into a certain assignment. But do not exclude the other aspects. And even worse, don't think that you alone have the answer to everything. That your area of expertise or the focus is the key to solving all the problems. Now, this is very possible, right? In our hearts of hearts. We may have good intentions. We may be very convicted. I mean, look at our Keeper's Awakening. If you talk to me, I will talk to you about our Keeper's Awakening, right? I only have one song to sing. I will sing it very loud to you. But in bringing a correction or bringing a focus where Archippus Awakening is concerned, I need to balance it correctly with the different aspects of the kingdom. If I push you only to know your assignment, assignment you must do and do and do, after a while it can be very legalistic, it can be very condemning, it can kill you. And then I would have done you a disservice. I must show you the grace of God that comes to empower us and sustain us while we move on assignment. There must be a time to rest even as a time to work. So you bring in the aspects of the kingdom and you must realize and acknowledge you only have one part of the whole picture. Depending on where you might be in your assignment, you only have one small part you will be a better and a more balanced minister and servant if you learn about other ministries. You learn about other expressions. But as you do that, do yourself a favor. Ground it upon the word of the king and his kingdom. And that's why we teach kingdom foundations. If not, you'll be tossed about and you're not sure which is correct, which is right, and which is in season or out of season and so on. But if you are grounded with the word of the kingdom and understand the foundations of the kingdom, you don't have to worry. You will be able to partner. You can collaborate with others for greater reach and better effectiveness. So that's a word of caution I want to bring to you. Because today, I believe the Lord is bringing people deeply into certain assignments for you to specialize in. But at the same time, He tests the body to say, as much as you know your stuff, are you willing to be humble to work with someone else so that together we can hold hands and move the kingdom of God? However, the issue is often not just with the minister, the one serving or the one moving on the assignment or the work of the ministry. It is very natural for the person to be convicted and very zealous to share what he or she believes in. But the issue is usually with the people. The people who are receiving this type of ministry. And that's why we must be careful, you see. If we are not balanced ourselves, then we will only cause people to be unbalanced or swing to extremes in the wrong way. Have you realized this? The people don't want to think about many things. They just want to be told, should I laugh or should I cry? Just tell me what to do. And if you are able to tell them A, they'll do A, they'll B, they're very obedient. That's why they're called sheep. That's why Jesus refers to all of us as sheep, right? If I tell you A, you do A, you do B, and B, and you do C. I mean, in certain areas, that's very, very good. But in some other areas, you'll find that it's not as straightforward. It's not as clear-cut. They prefer to be told whether to laugh or cry rather than understand why they should be laughing or why they should be crying. 
And even worse, they have their own expectations and presumptions of whether to laugh or to cry. So they bring their presuppositions in, and we see from this passage, both Jesus and John face exactly the same challenge in their day. This explains Jesus bringing this circumstance up. So let's go to a second part of love and cry, part two. And I ask you this question then, who calls the shots? Who calls the shots? Jesus, in teaching this, now goes back and he says, But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. Now as you read this, this is verse 16. If you remember what Jesus said in verse 15, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that can apply to the verses before to say, John is Elijah, if you have the ears to hear, listen to this and process this correctly. But this can also be a link verse to point to the next verse to say, to what shall I liken this generation? In other words, this generation will not listen with the right ears. Instead of hearing correctly, most will only hear what they want to hear. And even worse, they want others to agree with them and only them. And so if they hear, laugh only, then all of you better laugh. If they hear, cry only, then all of you better cry. Can you see the issue down here? So many times, it's not with the minister. Many times, it's with the people who come with an expectation and they are not listening correctly. They are not using the spiritual ears to process. So Jesus used a parable to illustrate this generation. And when you see this generation, he's speaking specifically to that generation of his time. He says they are like children in the marketplace. Now, what do the children do? They invite their friends, or they chill, all their friends, right? Come, 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 let's play, let's play. And if they are the ones inviting, then they are the ones who call the tune and they set the beat. They'll choose the song to play and they say, well, if this is the song and it's sounding like this, then you must dance to this beat. After all, I invite you. So since I invite you, you have to play by my rules. And as children, what do they do if their friends refuse to join them? They get upset. They'll act like spoiled children if they don't get their way. And that was how the generation of that day responded to Jesus and to John. Some of them wanted a wedding game. You know, they all play a wedding game. I'm the bride and you're the bridegroom. And you know, they, or maybe as children, we might have played that before. Uh, the ladies will dress up in their bed sheets and long, long flowing gowns, you know, thinking of their prince charming to come. And some wanted a wedding game. And in other words, they want people to laugh and have fun and celebrate with them. But instead of having a, a laughing game, they had a crying game. Instead of getting a wedding, they got a funeral from John. And so they got upset. What kind of people are you, you know? And so they look at John and say, no, 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 no. We, we don't want a funeral. We want joy. We want laughter. So John, since you didn't give us joy and laughter, huh, the way you dress, huh, the things you eat, huh, the way you talk, huh, he has a demon. So they start to accuse him to say he has a demon. And in that language, it's actually saying, I think this one mad, you know. This one too spiritual. Huh? Possessed, huh? spiritual, huh? correct, huh? but wrong spirit. I'm sure we have also heard those kind of phrasing before in our time and in our day. 
But in their context and with that phrasing, what they're really saying is this. Because you're possessed by this wrong spirit and all, you are actually guilty of capital punishment. If we're not happy with you, we stone you and we get you out of the way. So they wanted a wedding, but they got a funeral instead. And then there are others who would like a funeral game. I don't know why they want to play a funeral game, burying people and so on. But instead of getting a funeral game, they got a wedding from Jesus. And so they look at Jesus and they call him names again. Look, this guy is a glutton and a wine-bibber. Or in some translations, he is a drunkard. Why? He's always eating with people and he is always drinking with his friends. Now, if you think that this is just a rude remark, it's, it's more than that. This phrase is very familiar to the people because it's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 20 to 21, where there is a law or there's an instruction concerning if you have a stubborn and a rebellious son. A stubborn and a rebellious son who is, and that phrase comes, a glutton and a drunkard. And this was the instruction to Israel to say, if your children are like that, if your sons are like that, you take him out and you stone him. And you thought caning in school was bad. They were really saying, Jesus, man, you are a rebellious son. You bring shame to your family. You're eating and you're drinking. In other words, you are also guilty of a capital punishment. We can take you out, we can stone you and throw you away. At the same time, you are a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. Remember in Matthew chapter 9, he was found eating and drinking with this group of people. And the Pharisees came and said, oh, yo, this one's so unholy. You are defiled, you are tainted, and you call yourself a man of God. Who sets the tune? Who, who calls the shots? Do we laugh or do we cry? You see, all depended on their own theological framework, you see. If they think that the kingdom of God is all laughing and joking, then that should be it. So John, sorry, wrong guy. If they think it should be all repentance and judgment and wrath, then oh, Jesus, wrong guy. And is it not true that sometimes we do the same thing? That we bring our own theological perspectives and we start to judge one another. So they chose what they wanted, when they wanted, what they wanted. And when Jesus or John did not dance to their beat, the people got very upset and they rejected them. You know, when you read this passage, I have this one observation. It's very hard to please everyone all of the time, isn't it? It's very hard to please everyone. And so I'm saying to you, don't try to please people. Our part is not trying to please people. Our part is to be faithful to what God has given to us to do. Now, it's more easily said than done. Huh? Because I want people to like me. I want people to smile at me. I want people to pat me on the back. I want them to like my Facebook post. But God never called us to be popular or to be well-liked. God called us to be faithful. Now, I'm not saying just be an idiot and irritate everyone. God didn't ask us to do that. The Lord asked us to be faithful and to be obedient to what we have been assigned to do. So let's ask ourselves this question. Let's apply this question to us. To what shall I liken this generation? What if Jesus looks at us today and he asks us this question about us in this generation? Are we like children in the marketplace of ministries today? 
Talk about marketplace. Wow, we have a crazier marketplace today than they ever did. What does the marketplace represent? It represents choice. Do we have choice today? You have more choice than you can ever know how to choose properly. Are we like children in this kind of a marketplace of ministry? You want any ministry? Anywhere you can find. Any time of the day. Anywhere you can go. You have the kind of ministry. And the marketplace is also one that calls for attention. That's why the kids were calling, come play with us, come play with us. You know, they probably have their different groups and they're trying to have their little places and their gangs to play together. So the marketplace is one that calls for attention. I think today of all generations, we understand the kind of distractions that we are subjected to. Advertisements calling you, the screen time, social media, everyone is saying, we've got the best, we've got the latest, come to this seminar, go to that conference, it's the most anointed. This is God's move, this is the season, this is the word. Are we like children in the marketplace of ministries these days? And not just the marketplace, let's look at the word children. Spoiled children want their way and their way only. You must laugh. How come I never laugh? Laugh. Turn to your neighbor now and laugh. How come you never cry? It should be it. You must cry. And if you don't get it, they, they pout or they throw a tantrum. Or they begin to speak bad of others and don't friend them anymore. Do we see this happening sometimes in the church and in the ministry? That if you're not with my ministry, then you're against me, you know, and you are not supporting me means you support someone else. And then we start to talk bad about this aspect of the ministry and that aspect of the ministry. We have to be careful because it's so easy to be guilty of that. To think that we and we alone hold a monopoly to what the kingdom of God actually represents. And we poo-poo others and we speak bad about them. On a more negative point, are we really seeing 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 to 4? Paul says this to Timothy, preach the word. You've got to preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Why? Because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. See that? Their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We've got to ask ourselves, are we like that? Or do we have the full counsel? Do we preach the word? Do we receive the word? And not just a word of Bible study, the word of the kingdom. Every time you see the word, it's the word of the kingdom. It's not just the Bible of good suggestions of motivation. It is always the word of the kingdom. So who calls the shots? Does Jesus have to align to us to speak those things that we like? Or are we supposed to align with him? And Jesus in this teaching says, we're cool. John is cool and I'm cool. Laughing is good. Crying is good. Both of us are okay. You've got to see it together. If you can't understand that, you've got to pray for a discernment to understand what it really means. And we have to be careful because experiences also can be subjective because it can be different for you, different for you, and different for you. What grounds it is the objective understanding of the word of the kingdom. And these two things, you cannot separate it. The subjective experience and the objective word. Is it always easy? I don't think so. How do we know then? Which or when? Wisdom is needed. Wisdom is needed. And that is why 
the Lord moved on and slipped in this one last phrase in this verse. But wisdom is justified by her children. On one hand, you can see this as Jesus speaking about himself because Jesus is God's wisdom. And he's saying, look, let's not talk about all these things. At the end of the day, see that what I'm saying is justified by my works. And I've shown you all these works. I've shown you all these works. And John also shows you all his works. After all the talk, will there be works to verify the words? This is the lesson that the Lord is saying. There's no point spewing Bible verses, engaging in deep theological thought and discussion, and then nothing to show for it. This is very scary. And we see that a lot in our churches, right? When we talk, we debate, no, this is correct, this is correct. But when we talk about assignments, nobody knows their assignments. They think that their assignment is to argue with one another. <laughs> Finally, what justifies is work. Wisdom is justified by her children, right? Something has to be born out of what you say you have. And that's why Matthew started in chapter 11, verse 2, John asking, he's heard about the works of the Christ. Not just the word of the Christ. He's heard about the works of the Christ. Jesus' Messiahship is not just about the fulfillment of prophecy of the word of the Messiah, but it's also justified by his works. Jesus walked the talk. And another way to understand this is there's need for wisdom. So when do we laugh? When, when do we cry? How do we understand which aspect uh, comes into operation? Because there are just so many aspects. And that's why we must learn how to choose wisely. We have to learn how to look at the options that are there and understand it correctly. Paul actually said this in Ephesians. Walk as wise, not as fools. Consider the ways. Look at the things. And learn how to process it with wisdom. It's not one or the other, but it's the full counsel of God and His kingdom. Interesting that Ecclesiastes should be saying, there's a time to cry and a time to laugh, right? There's a time to laugh and a time to cry. And I know it refers to something different, but if we look at this, is it not true? There is a time that we can be rejoicing with the things of the kingdom, and yet there's a time where we cry and we mourn with deep repentance. Both are applicable. But don't swing to extremes. You need wisdom to understand this. Don't be blown about by every wind of doctrine or the latest Christian fad. Ah, yo, today you got this model, uh, that model, uh, this conference, uh, that conference, uh, this revelation, uh, that revelation. Actually, you read, uh, they all say the same thing. And usually a revelation that comes is God bringing that to correct something that has swung to the other extreme. Something that has been neglected for decades or years, God brings a revelation so that we can then recover it but hold everything in tension. But whatever the position might be, whether you laugh or whether you cry, it must be evidenced by your works. There must be fruit that comes out. You want to have joy? You want to have celebration? Show us the fruit that comes from it. You want to have repentance? You want to mourn? And you want to fast? Show us the fruits worthy of repentance. Otherwise, again, it's just theological talk. And we have to get this right. Because if we don't get this understanding correctly, then at the end, really, yeah, we don't know whether to laugh or cry. We'll be stuck and we'll be like surprised. Like, huh? You mean it's like that? Huh? Ayo, you know, we are so exasperated by the whole situation. We literally do not know whether to laugh or to cry. 
And I love the way that Jesus did not just end here. He goes on, then he began in the next verse, verse 20 to 24, which we didn't read just now. This is the second part. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works. Remember he just said before, wisdom is justified by her children. And Jesus is saying now, look at these works. The works have gone forth already. Most of his mighty works had been done in these cities, and he began to rebuke them because they did not repent. He pronounces on Chorazin, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. And if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Wow, why the sudden change of tone, right? It's like, whoa, hang on. <laughs> I know you're pronouncing woes right now, but whoa, hang on, hang on. What happened to this nice, party-loving Jesus? Suddenly, he sounds like John the Baptist. You're suddenly so harsh and so ungracious. And these war statements are not unfamiliar again to the Jewish audience. It was like an Old Testament prophet and it was very typical of these to pronounce woes and judgments upon cities. Just read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But oh, that's Old Testament. Isn't Jesus New Testament? And did I not read in the New Testament that prophecy in the New Testament must be nice, comforting, edifying, encouraging? Why, Jesus, are you so harsh now? Why do you suddenly switch your tone? And as I read this, I thought, wow, I think Jesus was really very sharp. He was making his point very clear, what he had just taught. He says, look, there's nothing wrong with John. Everything that John spoke about, that's cool. It's par for the course. It's relevant. Now, I can be happy and joyful and celebrating, and he can be mournful and serious and fasting, but it's okay. Let me show you why it's okay and how it's okay. I'm going to preach like him now. I'm going to make this point. I'm going to demonstrate to you my alignment with John. There's nothing wrong with his focus, nothing wrong with his tone. Because as and when appropriate, call to account. Warn. Warn the people. And so yes, did Jesus preach repentance? Definitely. The first word that was recorded for him, repent for the kingdom of heaven is in him. How can you say that Jesus never preached repentance? Joyful invitation is in place, but that also involves serious repentance. Celebration is a kingdom theme, but so is judgment. So do we laugh or do we cry? That all depends how you respond. And to prove and clarify the point, Jesus pronounced woes on three cities. These were cities where he worked a mighty work and he demonstrated the power of the kingdom of God. He mentions Chorazin first and Bethsaida. These are two cities that are north to the Sea of Galilee. Matthew doesn't really mention these cities. Presumably, the disciples were sent and they demonstrated the power of the kingdom of God all there. And so the mighty works were seen. Jesus is saying, no excuses. 
You've seen the power of the kingdom of God. You've heard the proclamation of the gospel. And if you hear and if you see, and if you don't respond on the day of judgment, Tyre and Sidon, the judgment given, pronounced upon them, will be more tolerable than for you. Now, Tyre and Sidon were Gentile nations or cities, and they were all enemies of Israel. You read them in the Old Testament. And if you think, people of God, that only the enemies will get judgment, the cities in Israel also receive the same warning. After that, he goes on and he declares upon Capernaum. Wow, you think Chorazin and Bethsaida got it tough? Capernaum. Do you know what Capernaum or where Capernaum is? This is headquarters for Jesus and his Galilean ministry. He went back to Galilee. That became his base. He moved from there. That's where his launch pad was. That's where the kingdom action was. He taught the most. He demonstrated the miracles the most. Capernaum, what a privilege, what an honor. Everyone would have been Googling Capernaum. They would have been trying to see what is happening in Capernaum, what would be trending around Galilee that came from Capernaum. And so they felt really good about themselves. <laughs> We've got Jesus, you know. Huh? Look at all the action and the newspapers every day. Capernaum this, Capernaum that, Capernaum this, Capernaum that. You know, it's like Singapore saying, oh, we hosted the Trump and Kim summit. You know, everything Singapore. What a glorious privilege for Singapore. And Jesus says, you careful, be careful. Although you're exalted to heaven, you'll be brought down to Hades. And this is the language of Isaiah against the king of Babylon. If you read in Isaiah chapter 14, 14, 15, this king was saying, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. Oh, look at me, I'm so good. And God pronounces a judgment and says, you think so? I will bring you all the way down. You will be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So don't just look at your privileged position and how honored you are to host Jesus there. Because on the day of judgment, if you never respond, Sodom will have it easy. I tell you, the Jews who have been so upset with Jesus. Sodom, Gomorrah, who doesn't know Sodom and Gomorrah? And you want to compare us with Sodom and Gomorrah? Excuse me. And yet Jesus says, it will be more tolerable for Sodom. Known for his wickedness, sexual immorality is perversion. And yet Capernaum, headquarters of Jesus and his kingdom, can be pronounced with this kind of a warning. Are you joking, Jesus? Are you serious or not? What was the issue? Same issue. Repentance. Or the lack of it. Response to the gospel. Or the lack of it. And so many can hear the good news. Many can see miracles. But if there's no response, if there's no repentance, it doesn't work. It doesn't hold water at all. And so this shows us it's not how big the crowd is. Really, guys, we have to look at this seriously. It's not whether you've said a sinner's prayer, whether you appear in the church membership role or not. Believing and following Jesus is not just about hanging out with Him. You know, it's, it's about doing the works and having bearing fruits worthy of repentance. So as we look at these examples, let's share some observations and implications here for us. The first thing is this. I see that it was a corporate judgment 
that was pronounced upon corporate sin or corporate unresponsiveness. This was on cities, it was not on individuals. And so for a particular generation, they have a decision to make. Do they turn and do they return to God? If not, God will judge the entire city or the entire nation. And the implication is very interesting because it's not just for individual salvation. The kingdom of God is extended to cities and to nations. God wants to rule and reign throughout. It starts with the individual, but it's not just for us only. If we are Singaporeans down here or you are listening in from any country, our assignments will involve a national destiny. It may be a personal assignment, but we have a part to play in God's message too, even the national destiny. And if the city does not respond, if the city continues to live in sin and not live by righteous means, in the words of Jesus, He will say, you be careful. If the gospel has been preached, if you have been blessed by God, if you have experienced the grace of God, if the opportunities have been given to you over and over and over again, you will be judged for that. That's the first observation and implication. The second is that we see there are different degrees of judgment. It will be more tolerable for such and such. It will be more tolerable for another. There are different degrees of judgment or punishment based on opportunities presented and the resulting response to those opportunities that have been given. And I believe this is very fair and very, very just. The more God reveals, the more opportunities are presented, the more accountable the nation or the person finally will be. And so as we see Capernaum as Jesus' base of operations, as we notice the privilege and the honor, so many people saw and heard the power and the demonstration of the kingdom. They followed him all over the place. But did they respond? So it's not just seeing a nice show. It's not just packing a stadium. Did they respond with the works that would be worthy of repentance? Now, I know it's very easy to point a finger at Israel because when we read the Bible, God showed His grace and His mercy and His power and His love and His faithfulness over and over to Israel, over and over. And we look at them and we say, Ah, you look at them. They are so stiff-necked. I think we should look at them and we ask ourselves, Are we also as stiff-necked? Has God been gracious to all of us? Has God shown His faithfulness? Has He shown His power? Has He given His blessings? And if so, have we responded in the correct manner? Israel was chosen, but it's sometimes very tough to be chosen. And as a chosen nation, Israel has gone through a lot from God. (laughs) My question, if we want to be very specific, is to ask ourselves now, what about Singapore as we look at our nation? 40 years to be pronounced as Antioch of Asia. And now seeing the things that are happening in Singapore, have we done okay for 40 years? Are we slipping after 40 years? Are we getting back on track? What are we doing after 40 years? Has God blessed Singapore? Has God shown opportunity and given opportunity over and over again to all of us? I believe we have. Do we have the best conferences and the seminars? Do we have the best teachings? We all just said yes just now. And again, the question is, it's not how much you have heard. 
if we have heard so much and we have not done anything about it, would we be accountable for what we have heard and received? Please continue to attend Kingdom 101. <laughs> but please do something with it. Please ask the Lord, if I'm attending Bible study, a BSF and the precepts and this seminar and that conference, Lord, will you shake my heart? Will you awaken me? Because it's not name text, you will show Jesus when you get to meet with Him. He will look at the fruit that comes out of what we have learned. It's the same principle for individuals. I bring you to a passage in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 to 48. Listen to this. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. So many, few. See, different degrees of punishment. Why? For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Same principle. You can't run away from it. The third observation is that God's people have an even greater responsibility to respond. Man, if we are Christians and we are believers, people of the kingdom, we have a greater responsibility because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have no excuse. Jesus said that the Gentile cities would have responded if mighty works had been done in them. And instead, these Jewish cities took the miracles for granted and did not respond correctly. Why? Because they thought they were kingdom people anyway. Everything is going to be good for them. Nothing is going to be bad for them. And today we have exactly the same kind of teaching for Christians, you realize? Nothing bad is going to happen to you, you know? You just have to believe correctly and everything is going to be cool. There's nothing for you to do anymore. Do we have revelation? What are we doing with it? Do we have blessings? What are we doing with it? Have we experienced His grace? What are we doing with it? The more grace you have, the more we should be responding, is it not? Paul says, let it not be that I have received your grace in vain. Oh, but I'm saved. Really? Did you repent? Yeah, I did. Really? That show works worthy of repentance. Can you see the whole aspects of the kingdom have to come in, you see? You cannot shout one thing and, not, and leave out something else. Oh, but I believe by faith. Yeah, I know. James says, yes, you're justified by faith, but you're also justified by works. Huh? So is it by faith or is it by works? Yes. So is it laugh or cry? Yes. You better know this. Otherwise, really, that one day, you don't know whether to laugh or cry. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to understand the full counsel of God. And I say to people, love the blessings, but heed the warnings. The warnings are there for a reason. I know we don't like the warnings. We prefer the blessings. But if you only hold one and not the other, then really, really, one day, you don't know whether to laugh or cry. And so let's bring this to a close. So do we laugh or do we cry? Answer is yes. I hope you're convinced by now. Let's conclude, let's summarize. Please remember that there are different ministries and there are different messages of each ministry, but we represent the same kingdom. The kingdom is much larger than you can ever think or understand, and that's why we're always learning. We all have different assignments, but the important thing is this. We must be all in alignment with Jesus and in alignment with one another. And we know that it can be 
subjective or seem to be subjective at times. And that's why we must be objectively grounded upon the word of the king. We have to understand a kingdom foundation. Wisdom is needed. Discernment is needed. And the reminder for each and every person listening to this is this. Be faithful to fulfill your own kingdom assignment. No one has the full picture. Everyone has got a part and we must work together. Please don't focus on one at the expense of the others. And even as we say this, there's no need to compete and there's no need to be insecure. Do what you need to do and be found faithful. And please remember, no matter how faithful you are in your own assignment, you cannot please everyone. Be prepared for opposition for complaints and for criticism. But stay humble, stay focused, check back with the Lord and keep keeping on. And finally, a word of reminder and a caution again. Let us not be like spoiled brats looking for what we want only and expecting Jesus and His ministers to cater and pander to our fancies. We don't call the shots. Jesus calls the shots. Jesus sets the tune, he plays the tune, and he sets the beat. We align with him and his kingdom. And may we, as we learn this, and as we grow into this understanding, let us not be caught unawares, or that we might be surprised and shocked one day when we stand before the Lord, and we really don't know whether to laugh or cry that day. Opportunities given means responsibility to respond, and finally, accountability for that responsibility. Because to whom much is given, much is expected. As we believe and as we follow Jesus as real disciples, may we all bear fruits worthy of repentance. So do we laugh or do we cry? Yes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. You say, let him or her who have ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And I pray, Lord, for wisdom and for discernment. Because some of these things, they're difficult to fathom or understand in our own minds. But will you show us, Lord, a bigger picture of what the kingdom is all about? Will you awaken us, Lord, to the things of the kingdom and what you stand for and how vast and how varied this is? to hold the different concepts and aspects in tension. And Lord, for some of us who may be going through a season or maybe majoring on one of these things and going deep into it, may we understand that it's not just about us, it's also about others, that we can learn to partner and collaborate with each other. And so Lord, teach us how to apply this and help us, Lord, in our faithfulness that we will do what you ask us to do and be obedient to be found faithful no matter how challenging it might be. That one day when we stand before you, truly, Lord, we will receive what is due to us and may we be found, Lord, truly faithful before you. We thank you, we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.